Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we come to the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. And as you know, Revelation is a book that is all about revealing Jesus the Christ. Well, today begins our journey through a specific revelation of Jesus as he takes the scroll from the Father's hand and begins to open the seals one by one. And as he begins to open these seals one by one, it begins the time of tribulation on the earth that will be the greatest time of tribulation the world has ever seen. And that is exactly what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21. Speaking of Matthew 24, I want to begin my sermon there this morning. For in that chapter, Jesus teaches his disciples about what will transpire when the end of the age comes. And interestingly, what Jesus says in Matthew 24 is the same as the Apostle John, what he saw and then what he recorded beginning in Revelation chapter 6. So let's take a look at Matthew 24, verses 3 through 9. It says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, that is, the he is Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things, when, when, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So in these verses, we find Jesus speaking of four specific events that are related to the end times. The appearance of false Christs. The proliferation of war. The proliferation of famines and the proliferation of death. And he speaks about that very clearly. Now, as we read today's text, I want to see if the things that Jesus predicted there are also found in our text today. I'm going to read Revelation 6, 1 through 8, although we're only focusing on 1 and 2, but I want to read uh, these verses first. Verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. He's opening the first one here. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, this first seal matches what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, 5, 
That'll take a little explanation, and I'll give that to you here in just a few moments. Verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 6. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. The second seal matches what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, where he spoke about the proliferation of war. Verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The third seal that we see here matches Matthew 24, 7, where Jesus spoke of famine, as well as other disasters. And then we come to verses 7 and 8 of Revelation 6. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider, its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And so finally we find that the fourth seal matches up with Matthew 24, 9, where Jesus spoke of the pro proliferation of death among the human population. And so in Matthew 24, we find Jesus among his disciples on earth teaching them what to expect in what is called the last days or the end times. And in Revelation chapter 6, we find the risen, glorified Christ in heaven opening seals of a scroll. And we find there the same events in the same order unfolding just as he taught while he was among his disciples on earth. Today, we're going to dive into the first seal, the first two verses of Revelation chapter 6. So let me read those again before we pray. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Father, I pray that you will help now in these moments for the communication to be accurate and clear. I pray that you would help us to gain understanding. I pray that your spirit would speak to your children here um, about some issue that maybe needs to be dealt with in their life. Speak to me in that same way. Speak to those who do not yet know Christ, that they may come to faith in him and be on the right side of this terrible, terrible time. I lift up this sermon and these people and our understanding to you for your glory and the benefit of those who receive it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So I find six identifiers here in these two verses that are key to understanding them. The first two verses of chapter 6. The first identifier there in verse 1 is the lamb. The lamb. In chapter 5, John saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And we understand this to be the personification of Jesus, whom John the Baptist said is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Crossing over to chapter 6, we see the Lamb now who has taken the scroll from the hand of the Father, and now he is doing what only he is worthy to do, and that is to open it, to open its first seal. And that brings me to truth point number one today. Whatever transpires from the opening of the seven seals of the heavenly scroll or from the blowing of the seven trumpets that ultimately come out of one of those seals or of the pouring out of the seven bowls that also comes ultimately out of that, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is unleashing their respective judgments on the world. I think that's really important. I think it's vitally important for us who focus so much on the love and the grace and the mercy that emanates from the Lord Jesus Christ, and rightly so. Rightly so we should focus on that a lot. But I think it's important for us who do to realize that just as he is the author of salvation for those who embrace him as Savior and Lord, he is also the author of judgment that will result in unfathomable physical distress and eternal condemnation for those who reject his love, grace, and mercy. It's important that we grasp that. This is not the devil doing this to the world. This is the Lord Jesus who is pouring out wrath on those who have rejected. And so it is here in Revelation 6, 1 and 2, that the judgments begin to unfold. And we begin to see the physical distress that will come and the eternal condemnation that ultimately will fall upon those who further reject the mercy and grace of God during this difficult time. So the first identifier is the Lamb. He is the Lord Jesus. Continuing with verse 1, we are introduced to what are simply called four living creatures. And we here at the Mission Church were introduced to these creatures when we were in Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And we discovered then that these four living creatures are angels. They are cherubim, to be exact. They were described back in chapter 4 as having the facial likeness of a lion and an ox and a man and an eagle, respectively. Furthermore, it is said of them that they were full of eyes in front and behind and that they possessed six wings, which symbolize both the all-encompassing awareness of what is transpiring upon the earth and the speed that they have with which to carry out the commands of God. 
As I shared with you in that sermon back a few weeks ago, it is postulated by some scholars that these four living creatures, these angels, represent the divine war machine of heaven. And as we make our way through the first eight verses of chapter 6, it seems that very well may be right, for we will see each one of them accompanying individually and announcing the first four seals as they are opened and as they are revealed. Truth point number two. Angels are spirit beings created to assist God in his eternal plan for the creation. In the Revelation, we see them involved in nearly every action that God has planned for both those he saves and for those that he judges. And we'll find that as we go through Revelation, that as these various judgments are, are, are brought forward, in so many of them, it is an angel who is announcing it or even involved in bringing it as we see people who are uh, redeemed during the tribulation period. We will see angels involved in the spreading of the gospel. And so they will have a part even in some uh, folks coming to faith in Christ. But here in these first two verses, we see that one of these four living creatures speaks in a voice that John described as having the force of thunder. He says that one of these four living creatures calls the first horse and rider to come. He's not inviting John to come. He's commanding what is in that seal to come out. And then John is there, and he observes what Jesus is unleashing in the opening of the first seal of the scroll. We come then to verse 2, and the, uh, I just lumped all four of these identifiers together. It just seemed the best way to uh, approach this. We find a horse, we find a rider, a bow, and a crown. Notice verse 2, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. So what is the nature of and the identity of this horse and rider? Well, as to the nature of this horse and rider, we need to understand that this is not a literal horse and rider. This is not a heart-beating, lung-breathing, blood-flowing horse, nor is the rider uh, literal. Now, John sees a horse, and he sees a rider. But in reality, this horse and rider are symbolic of a force that Jesus unleashed to set in motion the unveiling and the short-term success of the man called the Antichrist. So this is one of those areas where we're seeing something that John sees, he writes it as he sees it, but this is clearly not literal, but is symbolic of something that is literal. Now some, as they've tried to identify this horse and rider, have linked it, them, 
to the horse and rider of Revelation 19, verses 11 through 13, which there in Revelation 19 is the Lord Jesus. And so some have tried to say that this horse and rider is Jesus coming in for some purpose. But in reality, the only thing that links the two is the color of the horse and the fact that there is a crown on the head. There are many reasons that could be given as to why we know that the horse and rider of Revelation 6 is not the same as Revelation 19. I'm going to give you three. First, the crown on the rider of chapter 6 is a Stephanos crown, which is a victor's crown. The crown on Jesus in chapter 19 is a diadem, which is a kingly crown. One is about the recognition of some victory. The other is about the right and the power to rule and have authority. The second reason, the writer of uh, chapter 6 has a bow, yes, but without arrows. There are no arrows mentioned. While Jesus, in chapter 19, when he comes, will come with a sword, and he uses that sword with lethal effects. Third, we see that what follows the rider of chapter 6 are other horses and riders who bring war and famine and death to the earth. When we look in chapter 19 and the Lord Jesus coming, he is coming with his saints who accompany him to overcome the carnage that was unleashed by the four horsemen of the apocalypse and to establish an everlasting kingdom that is characterized by peace, prosperity, and righteousness. So the horse and rider of chapter 6, I believe, are altogether different from the horse and rider of chapter 19. Now, if that is so, then we're left to ask who and what does the horse and rider of chapter 6, what do they represent? What, what are they all about? And I want to come back then to Matthew chapter 24 and where I was demonstrating how Revelation 6 and Matthew 24 match up. And there, in that first part of Matthew 24, as we were reading, we found Jesus speaking about false Christs who would seek to lead the world astray. And that is what the first horse and rider of Revelation represent. Truth point number three. The horse and rider of the first seal represent the unleashing of the ability of the one who is the Antichrist to emerge from obscurity and to begin his ascension to world domination. The horse and rider of the first seal represent the unleashing of the ability of the one who is the Antichrist to emerge from obscurity and to begin his ascension to world domination domination. Now, one of the things that I think is important for us to take note of is that as this seal is opened and this horse and rider come out to conquer and all that's said there, it's not an immediate situation. 
It's not as though the world will immediately understand who this is that's rising to power. It's not immediate that we will see uh, the ascension to ultimate power. What is happening here with the uh, un unsealing of the first seal is it it it's setting the wheels in motion that eventually bring all of that to pass. In fact, as we look at these seals, uh, 1 through 7, they're not things that just happen in one moment and disappear. They're actually things that they happen and then they begin to unfold as you move through the seven-year period of tribulation. So they have continuing impact beyond just the place where we're reading about them here in Scripture. I want you to look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And again, this is coming back to truth point number three. The horse and rider of the first seal represent the unleashing of the ability of the one who is the Antichrist to emerge from obscurity and begin his ascension to world domination. 2 Thessalonians three, uh, 2, beginning with verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, the day that Paul is talking about there, is the day of the Lord, the time of the tribulation, of God's judgment on earth. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, this is a reference to the Antichrist figure, is revealed, the son of destruction, it's the same person he's talking about there, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, one of the questions that I asked when I was putting this together was, where does Paul get that information? Where does Paul get the information that I just read from verse 4? And he gets that information from Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, 36, and 37. I'm not going to read that right now. It's there in your note guide, I think, and you can read that later. But that is where the information is coming from. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, Paul says, and you know what is restraining him, this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction, so that he may be revealed in his time. In other words, there is a time for him to come forth. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit indwelling the saints who are the church. The church has a restraining um, ability against evil. It's not conquering evil, but as long as the church is here with the Spirit of God indwelling us, there is this restraining um, ability. So, let me go back. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. I believe that is a reference there to the church uh, age saints leaving the earth in, in the rapture. The Holy Spirit is not being taken away because the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. But the Holy Spirit within his church doing the work of restraining evil will step aside. And then, verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed. When will he be revealed? After the resurrection and rapture of the church age saints. 
is the Spirit of God steps aside because the church whom he's been indwelling has departed. He goes on to say, Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, speaking there of the lawless one, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. That is speaking of his second coming at the very end of the tribulation. The aim of the Antichrist ultimately will be to bring the world under his control in an effort to cause them to see him as the legitimate Messiah and then to worship him. The unleashing of the first horse and rider, I believe, is the unleashing of the restraints that have held him back. And when that restraint is lifted, he will begin to build his coalition in an effort to conquer one nation at a time. He's going forth to conquer, conquering and to conquer. This will not be a sweeping thing. It will be a step-by-step process until ultimately, and for a very short time, the world will be under his control. So we ask the question, how will he do that? How will he conquer in this way? How will the Antichrist achieve his goals? Well, I find two clues here in verse 2. Number one, initially, he'll gain power and control through charisma, diplomacy, and the promise of peace rather than military might. Truth point number four. The tribulation does not begin with a military campaign to bring the nations together, but rather with a campaign of peace and safety peace and safety that's how he will begin to gain control again you have to remember that an event has happened that the world has never seen millions and millions and millions of people have vanished they've disappeared what's happened to them what's happened to them could this be that the UFOs were real? Could this be that they have come and they have taken our loved ones from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue? What's going to explain this disappearance to unregenerate, unbelieving people? Is that possible? I think it's possible. I'm not telling you that's what will happen. I'm just telling you the world is going to be gripped in fear. And they're going to be looking for someone who can answer their questions. They're going to be looking for someone who can give them some sense of security. Some sense of peace. Some sense of being able to believe that we can win against whatever this is that has occurred. And I believe that he'll come forward with answers that will seem plausible and believable and that he will put himself in a position where in offering peace and safety to the world, they will say, here you go, lead us. Is that not happening right now in a different kind of way? Have we not seen the people of the world people of the United States, 
give up freedom after freedom after freedom under the banner of peace and safety? It's exactly what's happening. People want peace and safety more than anything else, at least the people of our generations. When I was growing up as a kid, and I grew up in the 60s and early 70s, Cold War was on. And I don't mean to offend anybody by this. It's just a statement that was out there. It was very prominent and very real. And most of the people that I was around and knew would say this, better dead than red. Meaning what? I'd rather die than become uh, a slave to communism. Better dead than red. That's not our mindset today. Our mindset today is better, better safe and peace. And we'll give up whatever we need to give up in order to have it. Because peace and safety is what is really important to us, it seems, today. Well, this rider that we see coming out of this first um, um, seal says he has a bow, but no mention of arrows. And I believe that's telling. You know, if you don't have ammunition, it's impossible to wage a military campaign. And so the man of lawlessness, as he's referred to, will not begin with military might, but with treaties. Treaties. Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 through 27, we looked at this several weeks ago, tells us that this one who is basically referred to there as the prince of Rome will come to Israel with a peace treaty in his hand. And he will sign that peace treaty with them so that they have the peace and safety that they've been looking for. And for a while, all will be well. In fact, it will be well to the point that they will rebuild their temple and begin their sacrifices again. That's how he's able to actually stop them, as we saw mentioned a little bit earlier. But after three and a half years... The Bible tells us that he will renege on that treaty, thus his lawlessness being displayed. And that is when he turns from diplomacy to the rule, to rule through violence. So the Antichrist will rise to power basically in the beginning through his cunning, through his negotiation, uh, through his offer of peace and safety to Israel and to the world in general. But secondly, the Antichrist will accomplish what he's setting out to do because God has ordained that he have the power that he seeks, albeit only for a short time. Truth point number five. The rise to power of the Antichrist will not take God by surprise. Revelation chapter 6 verse 2 is clear that the crown on the rider's head is one given to him. He doesn't earn it. He doesn't win it. He doesn't defeat others to get it. The crown on his head is one that is given to him. He will rise to power because it is part of God's plan. 
and he will serve God's purposes. He doesn't understand that. I don't believe Satan understands that, but I believe the Scripture points that out to us. And having served God's purposes, we'll find, as we come to the end of Revelation, that he will suffer defeat and eternal condemnation in the lake of fire. So, the unsealing of the, first, of the scroll's first seal lifts, I believe, the restraint that is holding back the revelation and the rise to power of the Antichrist. He will gain the world's favor, not by might, but by cunning. And again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 and following speak to this. Let's look at that again. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. This is now new stuff that we haven't seen yet. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception. He's going to deceive the world. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you safety. Eventually, he'll show them some signs and wonders to say, I'm the real Christ. Bow down and worship me. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the first horse and rider we find are out of the chute. They are out of the chute by the intentional direct action of Jesus, the Lamb of God. You know, church, there have been many false antichrists, many false uh, people who have claimed to be a Messiah throughout history. And if we look back through history, we find that while many of them were very successful, none of them were ever able to achieve what they desired. What did they desire? They desired world domination. But they were unable to achieve it ultimately because there was divine restraint upon them. But here, the time has come and the restraint is lifted so that the lawless one, the son of destruction, the Antichrist, will begin his ascent to power and domination through the promise of peace and safety. But know this. Know this, that his promises are lies. Now, those of us who are in Christ are not going to be here to endure or suffer through this particular point. But the same spirit that he has is in the world today. Are y'all awake? And they are promising peace and safety. And many gullible 
people follow. I just warn you, be careful. Be careful what voices you hear. Be careful what voices you follow. Because they may lead you right off a cliff. His promises and the promises of those like him are lies. And in short order, he shows his true colors. He resorts to untold violence to achieve his goals. And we will be looking at those very carefully in the near future. The good news, though, is this. I see a lot of scowls on faces out there because this is very negative. I get it. But the good news is this. Oh, that's still yet future. All of that is still yet future. But I wonder, I wonder, church, can you see the mystery of lawlessness already at work? Can you see that? I can see it. I see it every day on every news cycle. The mystery of lawlessness is already here and is already at work in our day and time. And Christian, those of us who are bothered by that, those of us who are really upset by all of that, I'm sorry to tell you we can't stop it. We cannot stop it. It is decreed in God's inerrant word. But even though we cannot stop it, we can be the salt and light that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We can live in the righteousness of Christ. We can proclaim his righteousness. We can shine the light of the gospel in this ever-increasing darkness that is capturing our world. We can do that, and we can do that because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and we have his inerrant word to declare. And so while we cannot stop it, we can stand in its path. While we cannot stop it, we can be a restraining force. And we have a promise that even in the midst of the darkest of times, if we stand for Jesus empowered by his indwelling spirit, then we can have a restraining effect on evil and we can see some rescued from the evil and brought into the kingdom and family of God. So I have a couple of really important questions. To you Christians, are you, are you spiritually sober enough to see what's coming on the horizon? Are you spiritually sober enough? You know, there's a lot of what goes on in our world that is very intoxicating, very distracting, very alluring very captivating. And those who are not living spiritually sober go running off after those things. Those who are spiritually sober, they look out, they see, they understand what is coming on the horizon. What about you? Are you spiritually mature enough to glean from God's word the truth that you need to guide your own personal path 
through these times, to help others who are on the path, and but they're struggling. And what about those who are not on the path? You know, are you spiritually mature enough to be able to lead them to the path? People who are caught in the darkness of sin. Finally, are you spiritually equipped? Are you spiritually equipped to share the gospel? Are you spiritually equipped to disciple the lost to salvation? Are you spiritually equipped to help those who are saved to take further steps of transformation? I want to tell you something. That is God's will for every one of us who know Jesus. And I encourage you to consider these questions and then to seek both the direction of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ to engage your world for Christ, for the glory of God, and for the benefit of those around you. Perhaps today it might be a good idea to go to the next steps table and to find there some first steps direction to deal with some things perhaps that your Lord has been calling on you to do for a long, long time. Pastor Brett's going to be there, and he is more than eager to help you in any way that he can. Finally, friends, if you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord, I invite you today to begin moving toward him by examining the gospel and its offer of life from death, forgiveness from condemnation, and light from darkness. The message is simple. Jesus, God's Son, took on flesh. He became human so that as a human he could stand between lost humanity and a holy God. And he did that there on the cross as he took sin, as he took death, as he took condemnation, as he paid sins dead in full through his sacrificial death. He rose from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and Satan. And for those who will turn from sin and self to embrace him as Savior and Lord by faith, he gives forgiveness of sin and new eternal life. I wonder if you would like to explore that a little further. Do you have questions about the gospel? Would you be willing to sit down and just kind of go through a brief study of what the scripture says about our sin condition and about what Christ has accomplished for us through his cross and resurrection. My contact information is there on the screen. If you'll reach out, I'll reach back. I believe if you're sincere, the Lord will meet you where you need to be met. He'll meet you at the point of your need. I pray that you will reach out. And as we do each Sunday, I and others will be here to speak to you, to pray with you, to help you in any way that we can if you have time to do that. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share these things, and I know that for those who have not really immersed themselves into many of these scriptures, it can be overwhelming, it can be concerning, it can be depressing. I get it, I understand, and yet it is your truth, and we dare not shrink back from declaring it. Father, as we go through these other seals as we eventually move into these trumpet judgments and we see the things that are coming forward and the, and the bold judgments. Uh, Lord, may it sober us because I think there's some intoxicated folks among us. 
not from alcohol, but intoxicated with the world's seeming beauty, promises of happiness. Perhaps I've been one of those. Lord, I pray that you would sober us. But also I pray as we go through the remainder of Revelation that you would show us many glimpses of your light and grace. And may we rejoice in that and seek even to be carriers of that light and grace in our day and time right now. So, Father, do what you need to do in any heart and life. And may we give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day and thank you for listening to On Mission.